This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So what we're going to talk about today is, is today we're going to close our, our series on coming home, and we're going to look kind of at, at the art of homecoming, the art of homecoming. And we've been looking at it through, through a lens that there's, there's three kind of spiritual postures, as it were, three ways of seeing things. One is there's settlers. There's those people who are like interested in settling and building something right in that place. And that's a, that's a really significant, important, critical energy to have. And then there are the nomads. And the nomads are those who are just, they're wandering. They, they, don't, they don't have a, a purpose per se. They're just interesting in moving and having the experience. And, and many of us go through times in our life where we're just, we're just kind of in a nomad, a nomad place. And then there's the one we're going to be talking a lot about today, which is the third group, which are the pilgrims. And the pilgrims kind of combine this idea of both coming home and traveling out. Coming home and traveling out with the addition that the traveling out is with a sanctified purpose. It's for a specific reason that's, that's sacred and dear to their hearts. And with all these groups, regardless of, of where you are, I think, again, this, this basic idea, this, this quote, that what we're trying to do is we're trying to just simply get thy will be done. You know, opening ourselves up to God's will which is always going to be known by love and care and peace, all those, all those things we talk about all the time here in New Church Live. And we talked about, it's a little, little um, tricky, but I think important caveat to remember is, is we have to have an accurate view of God in order to trust that statement. Like, thy will be done. If, if, if we have a view of a deeply punitive, angry God, sort of Jonathan Edwards, 1700s, sinners in the hands, hands of an angry God being dangled as a spider above the pits of hell. You know, I don't know that that's, that that's a will of God I necessarily want to trust. What we can trust is when we look at the life that Jesus lived and we go, oh, there it is. That's God's will. That's the life we're to live. That's the life we are to follow. So today what we're going to do to kind of get at that and get at the idea of pilgrims is, is I want to talk about what some of the challenges are on that journey as we try to really discover God's will. And I think one of the biggest ones is that we all live in these silos. We all live in silos. And, and you think about the silos in your life. Just start, like, take, I'm going to give you like five seconds here and just start counting them off in your head. And think about a silo as every place you are where the rules change and you need to act differently. Your family, your relationships, each one of those probably has a particular silo. Your work does. Your communities do. What are those silos there for you? And how do we get to that point? And I don't think we get there in this life, by the way, I should say. How do we get to that point where, yeah, we may exist in different silos, but it's the same us in each one? That, I think, is what true integrity and peace become. And we think about that with our lives and, and the way that can be and, 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 you know, how just how quickly we are to, to like, 
put people in other silos too. You know, in this day and age, pretty easy to do. Now I'm going to step over to here to talk about this for a minute. I think as, as we look at it, folks, like we have so many different ways. Like, like here's the issue of life, whatever that might be. And it could be words, it could be language, it could be positions, it could be the sign you have in your yard or the sign you don't have in your yard. It could be any number of things. And, and, and we sit here and, and we, we gather around this issue, right? We gather around this issue. And all of us feel like, at least if you're like me, you feel like you have the, you have the key. You have the key and the other person feels like, of course, they have the key. They have the key as well. Now, it's interesting, this idea of options. The idea that we're living in an era where we have more options right now to see things differently than we ever have before. We have more options right now to find and emphasize difference and they've never been greater. We've never had more of an opportunity to actually see how different we all are. And in a certain sense, we could take that to advantage or we could take that to disadvantage. We could take that as a way that actually is hurtful and not helpful. And so what starts to happen, folks, is this next slide here. We start to concern ourselves with the sides of an issue versus dedication to the common good. So I'm going to scooch in just a little bit here. So, so that idea of dedication to the common good. So much of what we're trying to do, as all churches, synagogues, mosques, temples are trying to do, they're trying to establish what is a common good. What is most helpful to everyone across the board. And they're trying to sort of scoot their chairs in, lean in towards that. And the challenge is, yeah, and I could look at it in terms of, yeah, what's my side of the issue, or what is my dedication to the common good? And those are, those are two very different questions. It's not saying, of course, that there aren't sides to an issue. There are sides to issues. And God gives us each a unique perspective, a unique set of value, a, a unique lens to see the world, gives us each, in, so, in a certain sense, a key, just as he gives everyone else their perspective and a key as well. And, and how do we like sit in the place where we can breathe and really get, I have a key, but it may not be the key. I may have a key, but it may not be the key. And we see with Jesus this constant call to the common good. This constant call going back to these, these perspectives. I mean, he, he invites so many different people to gather around the table with him. He's, he's constantly asking questions. He's, he's constantly inviting people into conversation all the time. I mean, a little line here from Matthew, from Matthew 13. Jesus asked this question, who is my mother and who are my brothers? So his mother and his brothers and his sisters are all seated outside. Somebody comes in, your family's out there. He, he asks this question, and I see him saying this with a smile. Who is my mother, my brother, my sisters? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my father in heaven is my father, my brother, my sister, my mother. That's, that's that call towards the common good. 
It's not saying like there is this select group out there that, that just, you know, that, that my family, they're the only ones who get it. It's Jesus kind of seeing it in the round and calling us to that point. Folks, this, I think, is one of the hardest parts of the spiritual life. This is what third way thinking is. It's where I'm not so incredibly interested in what side everybody's taking. And please listen carefully to this. I think it's so important. It's not so interested in digging in, in like I am emphatically on this side, you're emphatically on that side with this, with this real sort of taking sides. It's about perspectives. It's about how do we welcome perspectives of other people. That doesn't mean we let go of ours. That doesn't mean that we don't have something to say. But it means that there's a beautiful invitation that can start to take place. Because if it's all about sides, if it's all about sides, I'm on this side, they're on that side, they're on that side, you know, if it's all about kind of parsing around whose side is on whose side, well, then what do our silos become? Our silos become this. <laughs> they become missile silos. They become the silo where now I can find other people who think exactly like I do, have exactly the perspective I do, and then it can become this missile that we launch over onto other people. I remember, you know, back in the day, you know, growing up in the Cold War, again, the mad theory, mutual assured destruction. And, and it's what it is. Like, we end up blowing everybody up and blowing ourselves up. It doesn't work terribly well. So that idea of perspective. And that idea, too, folks, of, of that this gently places us then into that very gentle quote said all the time in the Bible. Thy will be done. I will be done. I've got my perspective. I've got what I think is a key. They've got their perspective, what they think is a key. How do we use all these different perspectives to, to unlock a future that helps us all to come home? That helps us all to come home. This is a slow process. It's a difficult process. What I would say is that it's a blessed process. And it's a process where, where we have to take, and we can take many different perspectives, but one of the ones we have to lean into is the perspective of pilgrims. I'm going to walk back over here and talk a bit about that, that pilgrim idea. So with the idea of pilgrims and the idea of, of like how do we find that idea to find our way forward... That idea, the idea of pilgrimage, that, that we are on one right now, I think, community-wise. Not just near church life, but just we're on a pilgrimage. We're on a journey. The home we knew, we, we have left, quote-unquote, the home we knew. Think about how much of life has changed for you since March. Even those not overtly impacted, have all been impacted. Like, we've, we've left home. Our choice is, are we going to look for a sacramental purpose to this journey? Or are we just going to be afraid? Of course, I would prefer to choose to just be afraid. 
That idea of a sacramental purpose, that idea that it's, it's a journey where we've left home. You could say it's been a forced leaving of home. And now the job is to, to touch, to go on a journey where we touch these sacred parts of the human experience. We can't do that if it's all about sides and not about perspectives. But that's what we've got to try to do. We've got to try to touch those other parts as we, as we find ourselves on this deep pilgrimage. And then on the way home, we'll start to understand coming home in a new way. We'll start to understand this, this coming home in a, in a newness where it's T.S. Eliot's famous words, I quote them way too much, where we return home and we quote, know the place for the first time. So, for a little bit of audience interaction and to set up kind of where we're going with this, I want you to answer this question. What trip was life-changing? What did you learn there? Chat or text Chuck at 215-740-3662. So what's, what's, a, what's a trip that you took that ended up being life-transformative? Ended up being a place where you went somewhere, you left, you touched something sacred, however that might be, and it may not have even been a purpose. You may have found yourself an accidental tourist, so to speak. And then when you came back, you knew home in a very, very different way. As those answers come in, we're going to look at those journeys that transformed. And, and by the way, again, apologies. I know I just got some texts from people still having a hard time at home with sound and stuff. Just try refreshing your browser and see if that, see if that helps. So what happens, folks? Well, the shifts to start to understand this pilgrimage, there's what we see and there's how we see. So we go through these, these kind of these sacred journeys. And, and what is it? What is it that we come to see? And, and there's a beautiful line from Ephesians, I think, that speaks to this. Here's this line from Ephesians. God made known to us the mystery of his will to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So much of this journey, I think, a pilgrimage journey, it brings unity to all things. It, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I think back to the, the journey some of us took here in New Church Live when a group of us went over to see the invasion beaches over in Normandy. And how much that created like a strobe light <laughs> with a unity, with a unity of all things with the unity of all things. Like, it, it, you know, you're standing there and you've got this sense of unity with the people you've traveled with. I had a sense of unity with the people I traveled with. Also had a sense of unity with the past. A unity with the future. A unity with experience, both the, the blessed and the broken parts. A unity of all things. I think that's what it's getting towards in terms of what we see. And then, of course comes the question, yeah, and then, and then how do we see? Like, like, how are we to see this? Here's another beautiful passage. I pray that the eyes of your heart, notice, not the eyes of your brain or your rationality, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That idea that, that we're being called to hope. I mean, think about that. We're being called to hope. Not to always be right. And that call, so much of that is learning to see the world out of the eyes of 
your heart. So how is it that we do these things? Well, look at this next passage. This was one I, I, just, I just loved. I have to say, like, sometimes, you know, you, you read through spiritual things, and as a pastor, it's always a little bit of a, of a fool's errand because there's things that I read and go like, oh, that is so cool. And then you share it with somebody. It's like, Chuck, I don't get it. Um, this was one I just really loved. So again, as I say many times, like, even if you don't find it really cool, just after church, tell me how cool this quote was anyways. Because I think this is just really neat, the way this is phrased. When we add love to this truth, okay, what's this truth? That the Lord is constantly present with every human being. Then the Lord comes into us. God arrives in our heart. I love that line. Add love to this truth. So here's this truth out here. God is present with everyone. God is present with everyone. That changes that a lot, right? Changes that little perspective a lot. God is present with everyone. How many of us, and I would throw myself in this this pile here, how many of us know that intellectually, but we haven't added truth to that? And the truth that we need to add to it being love. God is with everyone. I can see that just purely intellectually. Yes, we're all children of God, of course. But let me tell you the right way to see the world. (laughs) That doesn't work. Imagine really allowing into your heart, God is with everyone. And how do I add love to that? How do I add love to that? So it's not just like this, this sterile intellectual piece of knowledge, but that it's, it's something that actually lives and breathes and somehow helps me to understand more and more what coming home actually looks like. I love this line, folks, and it's a great reminder. Be kind first. Be right later. It's not the difference, but the distance we need to pay attention to. It's not the difference, but the distance we need to pay attention to. When we can draw close enough to each other, we can handle differences. I want to say that again. When we draw close enough to each other, we can handle distances. I would imagine that all of us in here have family members who have certain perspectives, political or otherwise, that we just can't fathom, right? And we love them anyways. And we're able to handle that difference. And again, it's from either perspective. It's not that there's one that's right. It's from either perspective or any perspective. And we have these differences, but because we're so committed to there not being distance, that it ends up being okay. Think about how that looks in the world. Think about that as part of this this journey of pilgrimage. 
or we stand in places, or we touch things, or, or, or we're, we're around things that are literally hundreds or even thousands of years old, and we just, we just feel like we're, we're, we're touching that story of humanity. And maybe just a little bit, the distance collapses, just a little bit, the distance collapses. When we look at this, folks, again, this idea of how we gather around issues, how do we gather around the table? Is it to take sides? Or is it to hear perspectives? Imagine your own dinner table at home. (laughs) If dinner is all about taking sides in the family versus hearing perspectives, it's probably going to be a little bit of a difficult family dinner. But we find grace when we understand what that table fellowship really looks like. And then we learn to expand that out there into the world in this art of homecoming. Here's a beautiful, beautiful passage that I love. Sitting down at a table with a group of strangers is the incomparable and odd benefit of making it a little more difficult to hate them with impunity. That's a good line. Prejudice and ethnic strife feed off of abstraction. That's so important, folks. Prejudice and ethnic strife feed off of abstraction. In other words, when we make judgments from a distance and we just have some abstract judgment that's not connected to the person right in front of us. However, the proximity required by a meal, something about handing dishes around, unfurling napkins at the same moment, even asking a a stranger to pass the salt, disrupts our ability to cling to the belief that the outsiders who wear unusual clothes and speak in distinctive accents deserve to be sent home or assaulted. For all the large-scale political solutions we we have seen proposed to solve ethnic conflict, there are few more effective ways to promote tolerance between suspicious neighbors than to force them to eat supper together. I find that just, just that idea, you know, so empowering and, and, so, and so simple. Not easy, but so simple. We really start to find, and how do we collapse those, those, those distances so that we can hold on to those differences, but to hold them within this context of fellowship, within this context of coming home. Now, a dear friend of mine put it this way, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this quote because I think it's, it's so true. Holding both our principles and open space for others is exhausting. If you're going to hold on to your principles, which is really important, and at the same time, you're going to hold on to open space, Lord, thy will be done. Lord, thy will be done. This is an exhausting tension. This, holding on to our principles, is important, and actually, it's far easier, I find, than holding on to an open space. And yet, that is the Christian message, is how do we manage to hold on to both of those? Both what is sacred and what is new.
this, what I'm going to say now is, is like true, I imagine, and, and probably a lot of you know it, but I know for me, I, I come more and more into like the sobering realization of like, oh yeah, this is true, and I hate to even say it. We are facing months of quarantine ahead of us. I don't know anybody who cheers that on. We are facing months of quarantine. Doesn't matter how you hold it, whether you hold it from this perspective, that perspective. Like the idea that the world is going to snap back in just a couple of weeks is not going to happen. I know even with what we're trying to do with church, you know, we're looking at this kind of format being our format for, for months ahead. Not just for a few weeks or a few more services. I don't know how that is for you. That is hard for me. That's hard for many of us. And can I take a breath there and just think, how do we want to choose to hold this? As we move forward in the world, as we go on this journey of coming home, And maybe we want to hold it like this. What if we all said that we are on a pilgrimage right now? Think of these lessons. Here are some that were texted in. Visiting the Philippines allowed me to understand there are millions of people who work just as hard and are just as religious and talented as we are, but live in poverty. So I understood that my prosperity is because of where I was born and who my parents were. Backpacking in the Sierras, awareness of God's greatness and dependence on him and others. My trip to Israel on my birthright, that's beautiful. What an amazing experience, and I was able to bring that back home to my family, made lifelong friends over 10 days. Morning from Arizona, Jesse and Jamie, great to see you guys joining us. Moving from Pennsylvania to Arizona, we started to learn learn what we truly value, and how to embrace being uncomfortable and change. The only family vacation that my three sons, then husband and I took to Costa Rica, life-changing for me. The trip to Philly with a daughter, I took her cousins to see the Nutcracker. My sister died the next morning. I learned how precious and short life is. My first trip to Laurel Church Camp, it opened my eyes that God is there for me no matter what. The journey had just begun at that point. Every trip ends up being life-changing in some way or another. Either you see something, you see something, experience something, or meet someone that you wouldn't have otherwise met. Ruth, this is a beautiful one. Minnesota Boundary Waters, Outward Bound, which a lot of people have had that experience. And there's, there's a number of other ones there too, folks. So here's the thing, right? Can we hold this, what we're going through now, as a pilgrimage? Not as a detour. Not as a way that life stopped. One of the most beautiful things, beautiful images about it, about life, I think, is is you know the the ancient image that many people used to hold the the Christianity as a labyrinth, and you can Google labyrinth to see what it looks like. And and a great, a great, great thing to consider, and one that I think is so worthy to be mentioned again and again, 
is the difference between a labyrinth and a maze. You know what the main difference is? In a labyrinth, there's no dead ends. In a maze, there are. In a labyrinth, there's no dead ends. In a maze, there are. We can choose, folks, again, to make this journey, this journey, that journey, the journey that you folks just mentioned, where we can learn it, where we can learn to connect. Again, if, if you're interested after church and joining in that coffee and donuts meeting just of ways New Church Live can move forward, it's just, it's, it's good stuff for us to all think about. It's good stuff for us to consider. It's good stuff for us to remember. Think this week, just tenderly holding other people in their lives, people who you may disagree with. And think of this. We're not asked as Christians to compromise our principles. We're asked to hold on to the principles. One of the key ones of which is holding an open space. And knowing this, there are pilgrims too. They're doing the best they can to touch what's sacred. They're doing the best they can to find their way home. Lord, thy will be done. Amen. So thank you folks for joining us today. What we're going to do now is now I'm going to offer a prayer. After the prayer, I'm going to say the Lord's Prayer, and then we're going to close with a wonderful song from two amazing brothers. So please join me in a prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to consider what it means to come home. What is that art of homecoming? Thank you, Lord, for all you bring to our lives. Thank you for the grace and the peace and the opportunity we had to gather today. Hear your prayer, Lord. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 